You're listening to the DNB Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, hi, everybody. This week, we have got a follow-up episode to last week's episode all about gopher control. And quite honestly, I didn't know I had so much to say about the three different types of animals what we were touching on, but I had so much content on gopher control that I decided to make a second episode to talk specifically about voles and ground squirrels. And that's what we're going to be talking all about on this episode today. So you're going to get a lot of my do-it-yourself tips, some information on different methods that you can hire done to uh, help control and prevent voles and ground squirrels from coming on your property. And we've got an interview with the Idaho Department of Health and Welfare State Public Health veterinarian, Dr. Leslie Tangleson, who's going to come on and she's going to talk to us about plague. And, you know, voles and ground squirrels have both been found with plague over the last few summers here in our area and so just going to talk about that for a second prevention methods what to look for how to identify an area where it might be present and what to do if you come across that so i hope you enjoyed today's episode and we'll get you into that just after this say you were to ride off into the sunset ideally what kind of boots and clothes would you be wearing for horseback riders of all styles nothing beats the look and performance of Ariat. available at dnb supply Everyone from famous rodeo cowboys to country music legends to equestrian Olympians turn to Ariat with confidence. You can count on them too. Think of Ariat as your ultimate riding companion for the life and times in the West. When you need to better outfit your ride with Ariat, stop on by your favorite D&B supply. D&B knows that your boots are probably the hardest working gear you put on for the day. So they need to fit well, give you plenty of arch support, and have tons of grit to match your determination. And that's what sets White's Boots apart. White's Boots are an American tradition, handcrafted in the U.S. for over 150 years. And whether you're going to work on the ranch, in the field, or on the fire line, White's Boots will be there for you every step of the way. White's Boots, the all-leather legend, available at your favorite D&B supply. Okay, now I, I want to jump into talking about ground squirrels for a second. And uh, these are... Uh, if you get out into the BLM areas uh, in the west here and out in the desert areas, there are ground squirrels all over. A lot of people call them whistle pigs, if you've heard that term, but there are ground squirrels all over. Luckily, in our residential areas and on our farms, we don't see usually as big of a problem with ground squirrels as we do with gophers. Now, certainly in some of our farm areas and residential areas that border up to BLM land that have high populations of ground squirrels, they've got horrible problems with them uh, that are really, really difficult to deal with. These are the rodents that were carrying the bubonic plague uh, the last two summers, not this summer, but uh, 2016 and 15, if I've got my memory right. So you definitely want to get rid of them if you've got them on your property. That plague is carried through the fleas that are on them, and certainly they can pass that to your pets. And they can pass that to people. So definitely not something that you want around your place in and around there. So some ways to deal with them, again, are going to be poison baits. Now, these are much easier to apply to ground squirrels than to gophers because you can see right where the ground squirrels are because they actually come up and will live up on the surface and they don't plug their tunnels. So you can go find the tunnel opening and you drop baits right in there. Another method of dealing with ground squirrels, uh, and this is if you have a small group of them or a small infestation, would be live traps. And there's some very good live traps that are made 
where you can bait them into the live traps and catch several at a time in the live traps. Of course, that begs the question, what do you do once you've got them trapped? I'll leave that up to you uh, and, and, and have you speak with uh, the local authorities in the county that you live in in terms of what do I do if I live trap gophers? Can I relocate them? If not, what is the best way for me to exterminate them What once I've done that? But certainly you can catch ground squirrels in these live traps uh, to remove them. And then again, uh, our local companies will come out and deal with them, namely the companies that do use the propane explosion method to blow up the tunnels and the companies like ours uh, or like my former company that uses fumigation with carbon monoxide. You can hire those companies to exterminate your ground squirrels as well. Now, one thing to, to know with ground squirrels is that at a certain time of the year, usually around mid to late July in our region, they go into a period of what's called estivation. Estivation is like a, it's a shorter hibernation where the, the ground squirrels, they will go deep into their tunnel. They will wall themselves off, plug it with dirt. It's the only time they do that and they'll go to sleep. They'll, they'll basically go into hibernation. This will happen in mid to late July and you'll see them again in the fall for a little while and then they'll estivate all through the winter again and come back out in February. And so they will disappear in July. And you'll go, what happened to all the ground squirrels? All that is is a hibernation. It's a short hibernation. They'll come back out again for a short time in the fall, and then they'll go back down again in the winter. That is called estivation. That's why your problem seems to go away uh, later in the summer. So just be aware of that and know that if you're going to do anything effective with your ground squirrels, you need to do it while they're active. Once they go into estivation, very, very difficult to reach them, even with fumigation or propane explosions, uh, because we don't know which holes are active and we don't know, you know, they've got it plugged with dirt deeper down inside and much more difficult to find them. And, you know, along the lines of dealing with ground squirrels, if you've got them, eventually you're going to wind up with a badger because this is what a badger is going to be hunting for food. And so they cause a ton of damage, big mounds of dirt, huge holes. Uh, you definitely want to get these taken care of so you don't have a food source for another animal, another burrowing animal like a badger. Oh, now, now let's uh, take another break. And when we come back, let's talk about voles. This is one that gets a lot of attention and drives people right up the wall. So after we take this commercial break, we'll come back and we'll discuss voles. They say legends aren't born, they're made. At Justin Boots, they're made to last, and that's why you can find this legendary Western footwear at D&B Supply. In 1879, Justin Boot Company mastered the craft of boot making. Then they spent the next century and a half perfecting it. Today, Justin Boots are still a U.S.-made tradition and an icon of Western culture. Fit for men, women, and kids alike. When you need to wear it well, Western style, stop on by D&B Supply for Justin Boots. A well-worn pair of Danner boots has become a hallmark for hard-working and hard-playing people in the West, and everywhere else for that matter. Find your next pair of long-lasting, great-looking, made-in-the-USA Danner boots at D&B Supply. Hold a Danner boot in your hand, and you'll notice the handcrafted precision. Try it on, and you'll feel the difference. Test it against the elements, and you'll appreciate the value of a product that's built to last. From classic hiking boots to handcrafted work boots to fashion-forward looks to fit your daily life, stop on by D&B Supply to try Danner boots on for size. All right, well, let's talk about voles, everybody. Uh, voles are a very, very frustrating 
critter and they drive people up the wall. Now, a lot of people will refer to a vole as a meadow mouse. A vole looks like a mouse, just a little bit bigger, and they're going to live out in weeds, in flower beds, in grass, in lawns. They're going to have open holes as well, but their open holes are going to be about the diameter of a 50 cent piece, maybe a quarter to a 50 cent piece, and they're the ones that are making those trails through your lawn. Now, a vole is actually not making that trail as a pathway. What they're doing is that they feed on the surface. They'll feed underground as well on roots and things like that, but they'll come up and feed on the surface. And you'll see them on the surface every now and then as well. You'll be walking along in your lawn and one will dart out from underneath your foot and then down into a hole. So you'll see them. So as they come up on the surface and they chew and they eat the grass, they'll chew towards the base of that grass that you've got or that lawn grass that you have there. And so you'll see like a thatch, uh, like a bunch of dead grass overlaying this trail. And if you pull all that dead grass out, you've got a trail going through your grass where there's no grass growing because they've chewed it all off and eaten it. And so uh, that's where those trails come from is them feeding, especially over winter, underneath the snow where they have protection they're down there eating that grass and you have no idea that it's going on so that's where those trails come from is uh they just consume in a straight line or maybe a curved line and it looks like they're making trails and eventually when that trail gets long enough they'll dig another hole and so it looks like it's a trail from one set of holes to another hole now voles they leave their holes open and they are unbelievable breeders and and usually their population cycle goes in about a six-year span so you'll see the population of voles really start to peak out uh, at at about a six-year level and then drop off drop off and then it starts coming back up so they have these these population trends but it's funny how all around the treasure valley one year we may have one area that is peaking and then it could just be 15 miles away uh, say from south nampa up towards north caldwell And the next year, North Caldwell has a peak and South Napa no longer does. So the areas, they're they're different geographic locations where they're having population peaks and then uh, having populations diminish. It's different all over the valley and there seems to be hot spots all over the valley every single year. And that's the Treasure Valley. And wherever you're at uh, over in uh, eastern Oregon or down in Twin Falls, I'm sure it works the exact same way right where you're at. So let's talk about some things that you can do with voles to try and get them off of your property to try and eliminate them. Now, if you have a very, very large vole infestation on farm ground, this is a very difficult thing to deal with. My advice for farmers that I always give when it comes to either gophers or to voles, is if you've got a piece of ground and you've got a really bad vole or gopher population problem, if that's a piece of ground that you're going to be turning over, basically you're going to be rotating crops in next year. And especially if you have any intention of using a ripper to rip down deep in that soil before you turn that crop over, uh, one of the things we always suggest is that if you can wait till mid to late October to rip that ground, do that because you're going to exterminate a lot of these voles and a lot of those gophers that way. And the reason for that is, is if you rip that ground that deep, that late in the season, usually by mid-November, we get our first really hard freeze. And if you've ripped that ground 
all the food they've been storing up for winter, you have disturbed it and you have uh, eliminated the tunnels leading to that food. So they cannot find that food. Their other food sources are all going to be disturbed from you ripping the ground and you're aerating that soil. So that soil is going to provide less of an insulative barrier from that hard freeze, meaning that hard freeze is going to be able to get deeper into that soil. So if you do that, through the fact that they'll have uh, less insulation, less of a tunnel system, and no food storage, the cold weather will actually exterminate a lot of voles and gophers for you. So that's something to think about. If you have a field you're going to turn over and you're going to rip it, definitely consider doing it at that time of year for preparation for the next spring if you can. Uh, That'll help you eliminate a lot of that problem. Now, in other circumstances, I would advise speaking with your local extension service, uh, whether that be the University of Oregon's or the University of Idaho's extension service, or if you're not in Idaho or Oregon, whatever state you're in, uh, for how you know what you can do legally and safely to eliminate these things over a large piece of ground. Now, for the rest of us who are looking at uh, a smaller area where we're trying to do it ourselves to eliminate voles. You might look at repellents. There are some repellents out there, some granules that you can spread on the ground that voles are not going to like the smell of, and so they won't cross it, and you can drive them out. This is temporary. There's a half-life on these repellents, so you're going to have to keep reapplying this and and consult the label on these repellents uh, when you go to shop for them to see how often you have to reapply, uh, you know, how long they remain effective. This is good if you've got a boundary area and you want to keep voles from coming in. But if you've got voles within that boundary area, you still have to do something about them because the repellent's going to keep them from leaving your place, right? If you do it a a perimeter around your yard or, or whatever the piece of property you're trying to control them in, the ones that are inside, you're going to keep them from leaving. So again, poison baits can be effective on voles. There's a variety of them out there. I would advise uh, shopping and seeing what's out there, seeing what uh, reviews they have, what you think will work best, what will be the easiest for you to apply. But again, they leave their holes open. They don't plug them. So if you're seeing small holes and they're open with those little trails, you likely have voles or meadow mice and you can drop bait into there and you can eliminate some of them that way. Now, again, Sometimes that's going to work. Sometimes it's not going to work. It's not going to get 100% of them. You can actually catch voles very effectively with just a common mousetrap. Now, you're going to have to stay on top of it. You're going to have to keep going out, catching them, checking your traps, resetting your traps. But find the tunnel area and the holes that look like they're being used the most frequently, the most active holes and tunnel areas. And then set your common mousetrap right outside of that hole in that trail where they've been eating grass, bait it with some peanut butter or something like that. Now, here is the secret to doing this. Buy a piece of rain gutter, just three foot long, two foot long, whatever it may be, two to three feet long. And once you have the trap set or the traps set in that pathway, take that piece of rain gutter and turn it upside down so you actually cover over the trap, cover over that trail, and you're making like a tunnel. And then weight it down with something or use a nail or a spike and and pound it through the side and secure it to the ground. But keep it held down so, you know, a dog or a cat doesn't come along and turn it over or the wind or something like that. And once you do that and you create that tunnel system, what that does to the vole is 
it basically forces the vole through that area where the trap is. It really increases the likelihood that you're going to get the vole to enter that mouse trap to try and consume that peanut butter or whatever you're using for bait, and it's going to increase how effective you are. And this may seem like, you know, trying to eat an elephant at first if you've got a lot of voles, but over time, you keep catching them, keep catching them, keep catching them, you can really, really reduce the amount of voles you have on your property. Now, what I would suggest is, is that after you've caught a couple, go ahead and take some dirt and fill those holes that you're seeing out there in the area where you're trying to catch these voles and eliminate these voles. I suggest that because uh, it's not going to do any harm to your efforts to exterminate these voles or to get rid of these voles, but it's going to tell you if there's any voles left in this area that you're treating. If you've gotten rid of all of them, then that dirt is going to stay there and it's not going to be disturbed. But if there's still active voles in that area, they're going to push that dirt out of the way and come right back out of that tunnel probably within 24 hours. Really actually probably quicker than that, but 24 hours is a good uh, time frame to wait and see if they've come back out. So uh, watch that and that will give you a very good indication on whether or not those voles are still active. And if they're still active, keep trapping, keep doing that. But try using that rain gutter. I've seen people use buckets that are tipped up uh, so the vole gets forced uh, through the trail. They go under the bucket, and that's where the trap is. But I really like the rain gutter idea. Uh, there's plenty of information online for you to look at on what I'm talking about there. Now, there is a there's another trap I've seen. I've never used it, so I'm just telling you this because, to me, it sounds like a very, very good idea. But there's another trap that I've seen used online where it's a bucket full of water and they it takes a, a little bit of construction uh, but it's a five gallon bucket with water about halfway up and then there's a ramp coming up one side and a ramp coming up the other side and between the two ramps there is a there's like a round spindle that's connected on both sides of the bucket and it can spin freely and you'll bait the middle of that that spindle or that rod with peanut butter or something like that and the mice or the voles will be drawn to that peanut butter and once they get out there on that rod they can't keep their balance the rod spins and it drops them into the water and then the water of course they can't get out and they will drown now this is a way where you can catch several overnight and keep doing that over and over and over again and you can take care of your vole problem now when i saw this online it was being used for mice but I believe it would work on voles as well. It would not be an expensive do-it-yourself project, and it looks like it would be effective. But like I said, I've never tried it before. It just looks like something that would work relatively well. Now, another do-it-yourself method, again, is going to be the use of predators. You know, voles feed on the surface. They come up on the surface, and cats love to catch voles. We have three cats on our farm, and our yard is vole-free. And there are voles on our property, but they're not in or around our yard because the cats keep them out. Now, if you've got a very, very large infestation, cats are not going to clean that up for you. But having a cat around or, again, owls or other predators, other birds of prey, they will hunt those voles. And that's a way to keep them at bay and keep those numbers down as well. So consider that if you've got a bad vole problem, let's say you've got a big alfalfa field or something else and you've got a bad vole problem and you've got foxes and you've got coyotes in the area maybe let the foxes and the coyotes be if you can 
if they're not harming livestock or chickens or something like that, because they're going to hunt those voles over the winter. And really over the winter, when you've got that snow on the ground, if you've ever seen a fox or you've ever seen a coyote sniffing along and they jump straight up in the air and they come down and they ram their nose into the snow, they're hunting voles. They can hear them down there. They can smell them and they are feeding on them all winter. So if you can stand it and that's the situation you've got and you can let those predators be, they can help you with that vole problem as well. And again, the professional companies out there that do use poison baits, that do use propane explosions and fumigation with carbon monoxide, they will also treat your voles if you want to hire professionals to help you with that. All right, well, that's about six years of learning on my part condensed into 35 minutes of talking about gophers, ground squirrels, and voles. And, you know, I I know I mentioned rock chucks as well. Rock chucks are a little bit tricky. You can use traps to catch rock chucks as well. You can use fumigation as well as the propane explosions if you want to hire a professional. Just with the understanding that uh, to fumigate them, they've got to be in the dirt. If they're in piles of rocks or piles of wood or underneath like a, uh, a backyard garden shed or something like that, then uh, the propane can cause damage. And then, of course, you can't concentrate the gas enough to fumigate them effectively. But there are certain circumstances where that is possible as well. And then live traps uh, for rock chucks is possible as well. I'm glad I got... I was able to share this with you. I hope it was useful. I hope it was helpful. And uh, let's hear from our guests after these commercials about what they're doing and what they're seeing and what other types of programs and things are available to help you out with gophers, rock chucks, ground squirrels, voles out there in our communities. D&B knows that life in the West is defined by hard work, innovation, and constant improvement. These values made the West what it is today, and these are the values that have made Wrangler the defining Western brand since 1947. Wrangler apparel is designed to feel good in the saddle, look sharp at the rodeo, and work hard on the ranch. That's why Wrangler fits with classic Western heritage like a boot in a stirrup. For clothing that's a good value and steeped in West Western values stock up on Wrangler at your favorite D&B supply. When you need to feed every horse in the barn, D&B's got just the feed for every horse at every life stage. Purina strategy. Whether your horses are growing, breeding, showing or performing, Purina strategy delivers the right density of protein, energy and fat with less starch for more endurance and stamina overall. Get better performance, no matter the stage, with Purina Strategy Horse Feed. Available at your favorite D&B supply. Joining me now is Dr. Leslie Tangleson. She is the state public health veterinarian for the Idaho Department of Health and Welfare. And she's coming on to talk to us about uh, risks associated with voles and ground squirrels and the plague. So welcome to the show, doctor. Thank you very much for joining me. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Uh, I'm glad to have you. And I know you're going to be a wealth of information for us on some topics that have really been in the media Oh, 2016, 2015, uh, they were getting a lot of media attention as uh, we seem to have a rise in incidences of the plague. And and we'll jump into that here in just a second. But I'd like to ask you if you could just tell us a little bit about you, uh, where you where you come from, what your education and your background has been and, and how you wound up working for our state or for the state of Idaho, I should say, uh, as the public health veterinarian. Sure. Well, I have been working in the state 
health department since 1998, and I have a veterinary degree from Michigan State University and a PhD in microbiology from Oregon State University. And I love the West. I love being in Idaho and um, just really tickled that I call Idaho home. Oh, great. Well, we're, we're the richer for having you and, and to, to have people like you here to look out for us when it comes to things like, like the plague. And, and I really want to get your perspective on this uh, because it's such a weird thing to say, to say the plague. I feel like I'm watching a Monty Python movie, but I know I'm not. I know that's real and that's here today. You know, it's really important for our listeners to understand that although plague is a very serious disease caused by a bacteria, it is not very common. So uh, so I want to start off our extended conversation today with the fact that it's very rare. So people can just take some precautions when they're out and recreating and spending time in certain parts of the state to um, and not be too scared of it. But there's some some things that we we can talk about today to to make our understanding a little uh, a little better. I wanted to ask you. So tell me about the environments where this is a possibility and what to look for to know if uh, there might be plague in the area. Sure. Now it's important to understand that ground squirrels, and I'm not a wildlife biologist, but I am I am a veterinarian. According to the wildlife biologists, the Ground squirrel and vole populations are quite dispersed across the state and particularly across the lower half of the state. There are a lot of very large areas that have ground squirrel populations. And generally, they're very happy and healthy and and uh, quite active during the um, early spring and early summer months. And then they tend to go underground and what they call estivate. Uh, and later in the summer and in the, in the fall when forage and, and uh, water is not as readily available. But during those spring and summer months, particularly March through July, when they're really active, you go out there and you find a, in a community of ground squirrels, either you see evidence of a lot of dead animals or you just don't see any activity at all around a lot of those dens or holes that you see out there, that the animals die really quickly from plague. And so if you don't see activity, those are areas where animals died either from plague or something else, because certainly other things can kill them. Mm-hmm. So it's important to stay clear of areas that have no ground squirrel activity. So the fleas are still there and looking for a new meal. People and their pets should avoid those areas. Okay. So for for people who are out and about or even on their own property and they see what you're describing here. If they do notice that, obviously steer clear, but should they be calling and and notifying somebody that they're seeing this? The uh, Idaho Department of Fish and Game actually has uh, an area on their website, um, idfg.idaho.gov forward slash plague. And they they have this area where people can actually report dead animals and or sick or dying animals. And they'll, they'll investigate those situations. If you have actual dead animals that you're concerned about plague and want them tested, you could actually call the regional fish and game office as well. Thank you for that website. And do you mind giving it just one more time so our listeners can make sure and grab it if they didn't have a pin handy? Sure. Uh, HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash IDFG dot Idaho and that's spelled out dot gov forward slash plague. 
I'll tell you what, let's take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, let's talk some more about this and and how people can make sure they and their pets are safe. Hamilton Carhartt started sweating the details back in 1889. Carhartt started to stitch together workwear made to stand up to steel, smoke, and the Industrial Revolution. Ever since, Carhartt gear has survived in the most rugged corners of the world and thrived in the harshest conditions at work or home. In 1959, a couple of fellas named Dutch and Bud set up their first supply shop in Idaho to outfit people in the West with only the best. When you need the stuff of legends, even just to make it through the workday, stop in for some Carhartt at your favorite D&B supply. What's the buzz? Backyard beekeeping is a happening trend all over the West, and D&B supply has the gear you need to get in on the hive mentality. Think inside the beekeeping box with supplies by Miller Manufacturing, including a 10-frame beginner's hive kit that has what you need to get started in one sweet package. It includes a 10-frame hive with installed frames, smoker, smoke fuel, hive tool, bee brush, and frame feeder. Better add this one to your honeydew list, or at least to your shopping list for D&B. All right, doctor. Well, now that we're back, let's talk about people and pets. How can we avoid contracting this ourselves and how can we avoid our pets contracting the plague? Well, pets and people really go hand in hand. You know, we live with our dogs and cats and uh, a lot of times we'll take them with us out into the, the hot desert and recreate or our pets will roam and maybe go into these areas where there's ground squirrels or voles and come back home, possibly bringing fleas with them. So the first thing I would say is make sure that your pet has proper flea control, either a collar, flea collar, or the top spot flea control products um, are very effective at keeping fleas off those animals to protect the animals, but also to keep the fleas from coming into our homes. People and animals should generally avoid going anywhere near a dead ground squirrel or vole or or going into those areas, as I mentioned earlier, um, that just don't look normal where there's no activity of the ground squirrels or you're seeing, you know, evidence of, of uh, a die-off, we call it. Okay, so being aware of your surroundings, kind of a situational awareness type thing and, and making sure to avoid those areas. Sure, and it's also, if you do have, uh, it, let's say you live in an area where there are ground squirrels right near your home, say if you live in a rural area of, say, uh, south Western Idaho, Mm -hmm. where we seem to find the most problem, really think about ways to keep rodents, voles, ground squirrels kind of away from your home. Clean up wood piles, keep dead rodents away, throw them away. If you're going to pick them up, you know, use gloves. Don't ever touch them with bare hands. Mm -hmm. Don't have your pet food outside to encourage animals to come, you know, near your home and leave fleas behind. Mm -hmm. Uh, So those are all good things. Now, in terms of uh, using insect repellent, since the plague is carried by a flea, do I have that part correct? You do. Okay. Mm -hmm. So do you recommend like an insect repellent if you're going to be walking in a grassy area and there's been these these animals, uh, squirrels, voles, whatever, in those areas? Well, certainly certainly wearing long pants, covering up your legs, uh, repellent is certainly good. You you just do what you can to uh, avoid fleas. So, doctor, what would be the signs that we would see in our pets if they were to contract the plague, and what would be the symptoms we'd see in humans? Sure. The signs in pets vary widely between species. Now, dogs, for example, are very often asymptomatic or only mildly affected by plague, oddly enough. 
but cats can be very severely affected and it often kills cats. They'll get swollen lymph nodes uh, around their, their jaw, so their head looks kind of swollen. They might get kind of sneezy and um, they can actually be a risk for spreading disease to people. So if, you're, if your cat has uh, been around a ground squirrel area and just seems very sick, with uh, swollen lymph nodes and just not itself, I would definitely take a visit to a veterinarian's office to have the animal checked out. Now, more likely than not in our community here in our area, it's probably due to cheatgrass or a cat bite, Mm -hmm. Uh, but certainly plague should be be in the back of someone's mind if the animal's been around uh, the ground squirrels or voles. Now, we have not had a human case in Idaho for a very long time, in, case, in fact, the last human case, I believe, was back in 1992. But because plague is such a serious disease in people, and if left untreated, people can die from the disease, you know, we still take it very seriously and encourage people to take precautions around, around the fleas or animals that might have the plague. In people, there's a variety of symptoms. Uh, the most common thing we hear of is bubonic plague. Mm-hmm. That's where a lymph node, say either in an armpit or the groin area, gets really swollen with the bacteria. And this swollen lymph node is called a bubo. And so that's where the term bubonic plague comes from. Mm-hmm. And another very serious form of plague is pneumonic plague or pneumonia from the plague infection. And that's also a highly lethal version of the infection. So should anyone, for some reason, think they've come in contact with the fleas from ground squirrels or voles or been around an animal that's been diagnosed with plague, um, I strongly encourage them to seek medical attention at their earliest uh, opportunity. And how would, and if, if you can answer this, great. If not, that's okay. But how would a human be treated if they were diagnosed with the plague? Oh, well, you know, I'm not a healthcare provider, but there are antibiotics that are effective if given early. Um, and additional medical uh, management would occur depending on the type of symptoms that are presented. So okay. um, certainly talking to a healthcare provider right away is the, is the key. Got it. Okay. And now you said that cats can actually transmit plague to humans? Yes. Actually, veterinarians like myself can be at risk for acquiring plague from a patient, a cat. Uh-huh. And in fact, a number of veterinarians across the country over the years have acquired plague when they were taking care of a kitty that had plague. So if, if say, a veterinarian is, say, lancing um, a, a big abscess of a cat with plague or the cat sneezes, say, just at the wrong time when mm-hmm. the veterinarian look, looks down at the cat, they could inhale the bacteria. You know, again, very, very rare, but it's important to understand that these are diseases that are transmitted from animals to people, okay. either through the flea or from the sick animal directly. Well, that's great. I, not great, but it's great to know. I did not I did not know that was a possibility. I thought it was only from fleas. So that is why you are on this show right now, because you've got the knowledge. Thank you for that. Um, anytime. 
All right, Dr. Well, again, thank you for coming on. And, and before we wrap it up, what else do we need to know, you know, if somebody stumbles across a mass casualty area or something like that? And if people want more information, where can they go to get that? So if people stumble, say you're out in southwestern uh, Ada County or Canyon County or Elmore County, um, and uh, you come across a lot of animals that die, the Idaho Department of Fish and Game really um, five or more dead animals is how they term it a mortality event. Okay. And we strongly encourage people and animals to stay away from those areas. Don't even go in to collect a dead animal for testing. Just contact the Fish and Game regional office right away and let them know the general location of that mortality event. And they'll send somebody out who's equipped to collect the specimen and, and test those dead animals. If you have some general questions about plague, you could either call your local public health district or you can even go online. The Centers for Disease Control or CDC has a great page on plague and their website is www.cdc.gov forward slash plague. So I just wanted to reiterate a couple things. So don't pick up your own sample if you run into one of these areas. Just step away from it and then call the people who are qualified to come and collect a sample and do the testing without, uh, or at least with their expertise so they minimize the risk of spreading the disease. Sure. And, and as I spoke about earlier in our discussions, say if you have a random uh, dead ground squirrel around your, your home or something, um, you either could could pick it up with gloves on and double bag it in a plastic bag and bring it to Fish and Game. Um, but I would strongly recommend just contacting them and getting their advice on, on how, to, how to safely have an animal tested. It's kind of a, a dark topic, and it's a serious one. And the plague is very serious, obviously. Uh, but with that said, it's, it's uncommon. So uh, while we're not, we're not trying to wor- worry anybody, we're just trying to give them good information if you happen to be one of the few people that stumbles, stumbles across something like this uh, during the outdoor season here. Correct. And I would, I would close with most of the ground squirrels and voles out there do not carry the plague. Uh, so, so just respect them and enjoy them from a distance. Okay. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, Dr. Tangleson. I really appreciate your time and really appreciate your expertise. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you all for joining us today. And here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For the DNB Show, I'm Matt Breckwald.